Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Lone Oster Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my main man, Jay-Z, John Coleman. What up, D.O.? What's poppin'? Dude, I am fresh off a flight from Washington, D.C., where I just spent the past three days and three nights in our nation's capital. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Huh? Isn't that the thing at Capitol Hill? Like, what is a bill? Kids in my member? The they, cartoon, they, oh, the cartoon. Yes. Yeah, you say, yeah, come yes. on, man. You just ruined the whole man, you can tell that you are the child of two educators, right? You didn't get to watch the cool cartoons like Dennis the Menace. They straight up had you watching oh, no. the geeky yeah, cartoons. No, that was the card. That's when the, the, t- the teacher wheeled in the TV monitor and was like, oh, this is what we're watching today. Well, you would appreciate this while I was in DC. Right. So I was up there for the Mortgage Bankers Association Future Leaders Program. Nice. Um, I'm just going to lay it out there. Mm-hmm. I am very. Very impressed with this program. Okay. I am very impressed. And I've gone through a lot with with the Mortgage Bankers Association. We've done a whole entire episode on the certified mortgage banker designation that that I spent two years of my life achieving. Part of obtaining the CMB was I went through School of Mortgage Banking 1, School of Mortgage Banking 2, School of Mortgage Banking 3, mm-hmm. um, all about professional development and professional betterment. And then I've tagged on for future leaders. But not a knock against SOM, School of Mortgage Banking, SOM yeah. 1, 2, or 3. Okay. And not a knock against CMB, but my class is legit badass. Mm. Like, the instructors are great, the material is great, but the people. I walked into this class Monday morning, and it's the first of three times we're going to meet. So we met in D.C. In, in April. The reason why we met in April was because it's the National Advocacy Conference. Okay. That's what I want to talk about, NAC. And... Um, so we had a day and a half, just future leaders. And the other day and a half was being a part of the conference, Mm -hmm. which allowed us to march on Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. Like I legit had meetings with staff from Rick Scott, one of Florida senators. Mm -hmm. I was in Marco Rubio's office meeting with his staff Mm -hmm. that was, um, on Capitol Hill, but not in the Capitol building. We can talk about that later. Um, and I had an opportunity to also visit Congressman Al Lawson's office and meet with his staff Mm -hmm. and talk about issues that are important to the mortgage industry and the clients that we serve. And the clients we serve are, are the real estate agents and the builders that refer us business, as well as the people who buy homes oh, yeah. or the people who are already homeowners. Because we talked about taxes and we talked about appraisals and we talked about affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to dive into that, but a little bit of just shout out to my class, right. my future leaders course. I mean, I stepped in and for the first time I looked around, I'm like, I'm in a group of 35-ish, mm-hmm. six groups of six minus a couple, right? Oh, so that so would be 36. That. Okay. Um, my group was down one, um, missed you, Courtney. I've never met Courtney, but he didn't show up. Okay. So he was our sixth man. Now right. we're down to five. Right. Uh, we had to come up with a team name. Okay. So we were thinking like full house because we have five. Everyone else has six, like queens over kings because right. there's three women and two men. So that's my team name. Nice. Uh, we'll meet again in June, and then we'll um, we'll cap off the Future Leaders course with a graduation and a presentation in October when we're up in Nashville for the Mortgage Bankers Association National Conference. Okay. Uh, but it was just really, really cool to be in this room learning about leadership, how we've become better leaders, and learning how to work with people and work in teams and and accentuate strengths and understand your own weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera, which I found out 
that I do have some weaknesses. You don't say. <laughs> yeah, you don't say. Um, and quite honestly, nothing was a shock, right? right? But it was just kind of a, a, an affirmation that, yes, that's there. Yes, it's present. Mm-hmm. Yes, people see you that way, and there's some rooms for improvement. But, no, what I loved about it is I looked around, and for the most part, my class, they're all in the same place I am in life, give or take a few years. And I may even be on the older side. It is called future leaders. Right. And at 43, I was a little bit worried I'm not the future. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm the present, yeah. um, but I get to hang out with the future. It's kind of like I'm not really a millennial. I think I'm two or three years right. off, yeah. but I'm right there. Yeah. You, can you, know? you can still hang. I can play down. Yeah, I, yeah, I can still, still hang. hang. Yeah. I can still hang. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're in the same place where I am in life. They're in the same place I am in, in, in their career. And what I really loved, it's and this is the whole like birds of a feather flock together in any book you read that's nonfiction and business and entrepreneurial will tell you like you are the people, you are the company you keep. Right. What I think I loved is everyone there paid a lot of money to be there and they made the conscious decision to work on self-betterment. Hmm. Like as professionals, they raised their hand and said, yes, yes, I want to get better. Yes, I want to learn how to become a better leader or I want to learn what it, what it means to be a leader. Can anyone join? Is it, is it, what are the steps? To- yeah, I mean, a- anyone can apply, but not everyone's accepted. Oh, okay. Yeah, anyone can apply. I mean, obviously, if you're in the mortgage industry, because it's a future leaders program. Yeah. And I would encourage um, our future leaders, you know, people who have been in the industry three, five, seven years, regardless. Like in my class, they're not all loan officers, by the way, because the mortgage industry is more than just loan officers and processors and underwriters. That's one mm-hmm. of five or six segments. There's people who are in the servicing side of things. There are people who are in the technology side of things. Right. So like when you are rolling out a new loan origination software Mm -hmm. or there's a new regulation such as TRID or such as the LE or the CD, I guess that was all a part of TRID, um, the new ERLA. Right. There's people who have to focus on the compliance aspect of that. Mm -hmm. They have to focus on the accounting aspect of that. They have to focus on the the legal aspect. So like in my group, there's me and you would say you'd put me on the sales side. Okay. Right. And then there's this lady, Amy. She's an attorney for a mortgage company. Hmm. So she is compliance. Um, And then there's Travis. And Travis is a salesperson, but he's not an LO. He's an account executive. He works for a wholesaler. Hmm. So Travis goes out and he builds relationships with credit unions who maybe don't offer a a large menu of products. Mm -hmm. And his company gives that credit union the opportunity to broker the loans to them. And then his company will fund those loans. Or if you're a mortgage broker, you need an account executive like Travis in your back pocket so that you can broker Travis and his company your yeah, products. Okay. Right. So then there was Becky and Becky is a technologist. Right. So when Tread rolled out, that was her team's functionality for two years. Hmm. Don't screw this up. Right. Don't screw this up. We need to make sure that all of our clients have all the resources they need so that when we're trying to disclose loans, we're disclosing them properly, legally, mm-hmm. with with the right technology, effectively, efficiently, smoothly, et cetera, right? So like she's in the mortgage industry, she's a mortgage professional, but she doesn't do loans for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, that left us with Alicia. And Alicia, again, she's not on the sales side of things, she's operations, hmm. right? So there's people all throughout the different swats. I can go through the whole class. I won't bore you all with sure. it, but the Future Leaders program I'm excited about. That's cool. Um, this was our first in-person meeting. Like I said, I'll be back in June, and then we'll do something again in October. But in the interim, we have to read books. Like mm-hmm. our first book we had to read was The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm-hmm. 
So we read that one in preparation for this course. We're gonna have another book we have to read for preparation for our next meeting. Right. Then we're gonna have a project. We're gonna have to do. Oh you wow. know. Yeah. Does so this really cool? Does this continue beyond this year? Or is it like something you do like every three, five? No, years? no. This is something that you do at once. Okay. And I wouldn't see you doing it again. Okay. Yeah. So like our COO, Rich Tucker, he went through Future Leaders. Okay. Yeah, so like I asked Rich about it. He was like, oh my God, great experience. Mm. Just like Rich asked me, hey, you went through your CMB. What's that like? Most people, if they did it in order, they would do school of mortgage banking. Then they would do future leaders. Then they would get their CMB. Right. But there's people who have their CMB who have never done school of mortgage banking. Um, and I got my CMB first. And then I, um, I, I went through future leaders. But most that go through future leaders, their next progression would be CMB. Nice. Yeah. So that was really cool. Um, and that's what's been going on. Like, that's what's been popping. Right. right. I've been been out of the office Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Those of you that are hitting me up on LinkedIn, thank you. I apologize for the slow reply, but I legit was up every morning at 530. Well, my alarm went off at 530. I hit snooze a couple of times. Right, right. But because of 75 hard, I had to get my outdoor exercise in. And D.C. this time of year is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And, dude, I went on runs every morning, but my run was like, hey, I'm going to go run to the Capitol building. No biggie. I'm going to go run to Lincoln Memorial. I'm going to go run around the Washington Monument. That's cool. And as I'm running, I'm like, oh, shit, there's the Smithsonian. How cool is that? Right. Oh, shit, there's the Department of Justice. How cool is that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, who's that whack job on the megahorn? He's obviously protesting something. Right. What's up, homie? Like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, shit, there it goes. Yeah. No. Um, the only thing is I missed the cherry blossoms. Oh, they're, they're, they're not. They're Missed done. them by like three weeks. Really? Yeah. So it was like an adult field trip. Everybody packed in, went to D.C., everybody who's the chaperone, meet in the lobby. Some people, stragglers, didn't show up. So, yeah, it sounded like a good time. Yeah. Well, yeah. So so that's what I want to talk about. Okay. T today's episode is is I want to title it something around advocacy, right? It's like Dio and his friends marched on Washington. Yeah. Why'd they do it? What'd they learn? What was the purpose? Okay. Right? Because I attended the National Advocacy Conference. The Mortgage Bankers Association has conferences almost monthly, right? They have conferences for servicing. They have conferences for um, independent mortgage bankers. They have mm. conferences uh, like their annual sales conferences in October. So there are conferences just about, they have conferences for the secondary market. Like that's going on right now, I think, and it's always in uh, Manhattan. Mm. But this is the National Advocacy Conference. So we get together as an industry, people from every state represented, and we come in to A, be around each other, to network, to meet, to talk shop, camaraderie. They held a really awesome event at the National Archives for us. Oh, nice. Right? So I got to see the actual Bill of Rights. I got to see the Declaration of Independence. I got to see the actual Constitution, nice. like found Alexander Hamilton's signature. By the way, on the Declaration of Independence, the signatures have a lot faded. Oh, right. Even John Hancock's, right, the one we learned about, mm -hmm. the big one, yeah. it was, like, hard to make out. Mm -hmm. um, but did you know this about the National Archives? What is that? They also have a copy of the Magna Carta there. What's that? Oh, okay. The Magna Carta was essentially, and I'm going to paraphrase here the way that I understand it, so my history nerds such as my son, please do not beat me up too much <laughs> for this. It's known as, like, the first act of um, – Defiance, the first act of like a declaration of independence. Mm -hmm. um, and it was possibly where democracy was born. It was drafted back in the 13th century, like 12 something. It was written on papyrus? It was written um, in Latin. Okay. Yeah, because I couldn't read it. <laughs> oh. Okay. Not that I could really read and understand right. the calligraphy and the old 
yeah, world English yeah. of the Bill of Rights and the mm-hmm. uh, Constitution. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it was, it was written in Latin, but it was essentially uh, a group of people coming together, letting the King of England know we're tired of your shit and we're breaking off. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So it's called the Magna Carta. You know, well, you learned you learned about that in eighth grade. I, I promise you. I learned it, and if I got it right in the test, and I immediately forgot it. Yep. And there's multiple copies. I think there's four surviving copies, and one of them is in the National Archives. Nice. So I got to see that. Well, but, but like like that's like you 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 pay to go to these conferences, and what are you paying for? Well, you know, it depends. Like you are paying to be able to have a really cool evening event at the at the uh, National Archives with open bar and and heavy hors d'oeuvres. Mm-hmm. You're also paying. To be around a bunch of people who are a lot, a lot like you, a lot not like you, but mm. they all do what you do for a living. So it's great networking, and you're you're paying to, to to hear speakers, right? So like I got to listen to Bob Brokschmidt, who is the CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, address us on what's happening in our industry and what does the future of our industry look like. I got to listen to Dr. Frant and Tony, who is the chief economist for the NBA, give us an economic update. Hmm. They brought in various Congress people to speak. Like I listened to um, Congressman Thune out of South Dakota, I believe if I memory serves me correctly, he is the minority whip in the house, mm-hmm. right? So the house has 435 members, that's Congress. Um, and then there's the Senate, right? Who has their 100 members uh, with the vice president being the tiebreaker in case you're keeping tabs at home, right? And right now the house, I mean, the, the, the Senate is split uh, 50, 48 with two independents. So it's two independents. People like Bernie Sanders vote with the Democrats. So they say it's a split house mm. and then the VP, she's the deciding vote. Um, so at national advocacy, obviously we're there to talk about legislation that's going to impact our industry in the future. So we're there to stop legislation that we're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. What are you guys doing? What are you girls doing? This is, this is terrible. Really? Do you really know what you're doing? Let us let us really give you our insight. Right. We're also there to ask for legislation, right? So it's this is our opportunity once a year. Yeah, I say march on Washington, but we did. Like we we had hundreds of people from all of the states coming in. Yes, to network. Yes, to go to cool events like the National Archives. Um, yes, to listen to to speakers come in. Like they had a journalist come in. Uh, she hosts um, like a Sunday. Uh, network news, like a face the nation. Okay. I can't remember her last name. Margaret, I believe her first name. She was a really great interview. Uh, Christy Ferco, who is the head of Wells Fargo's mortgage division, but she's also the chairwoman of the mortgage bankers association. She was heavily involved. She conducted the interview. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're there for that, but we're also there for what I got to do yesterday. Okay. So yesterday, we met at 7 a.m. We had breakfast. We then um, discussed, again, our talking points, right? And what are our talking points? Why are we in Washington as the mortgage industry? What matters to us? And we decided as a group, and when I say we, the Mortgage Bankers Association, by the way, that is our industry's trade organization. If you're a realtor, it's the National Association of Realtors or NAR, right? If you're a home builder, the Home Builder, has, the home builder Association has their own uh, lobbying firm, mm-hmm. If you're in the restaurant industry, you have a lobbying firm, right? If you're in commercial real estate, everyone has their own lobbying firm because that's the way the game is played, right? So you have to like tell your lobbyists like, hey, this is what we're kind of, this is what we're thinking, this is what we're feeling. And then they go like on behalf of you to. Well, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's how the game is played. But then at some point you, you want to show up too. 
Right. I'm like, hey, look, I know I've been sending my representative, but no, listen here. Like I I'm, a up, real, I'm a real person. I showed up on your doorstep. I showed, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean business. Like, hey, let's talk. Let's sit down. And it's done judiciously. It's done uh, diplomatically. It's right. done where you schedule times with these senators and these congresspeople. Mm -hmm. Like, I live in Winter Springs, Florida. Stephanie Murphy is my congresswoman. We didn't meet with Stephanie. Okay. We didn't meet with Stephanie because she's not running again. Mm -hmm. Like, how much influence does right. she really yeah. have going forward? Right. Right, but we did meet with Rick Scott. We did meet with Marco Rubio, and unfortunately, neither Rick nor Marco showed up, mm -hmm. and that's kind of par for the course. You know, they're super busy, quote unquote, busy right. people. Right. Um, you know, it, but they did have a staff member. So are they? So their teams are they responsible for actually writing the legislation, approving the legislation once they are informed by such groups like as an NBA? Well, so works? typically the way that laws are passed is it, it starts as a bill. Mm -hmm. um, and and you know, typically if it's a bill, it's going to be a bill in the House, which is Congress. Mm -hmm. And then um, once then the Senate will have a, a similar bill on, on their side. Mm -hmm. um, and then they'll ratify it and then they send it to the president. And the president signs off on it. Right. But I, a lot of times things don't make it pass. Like the House passed it, but the Senate wouldn't. Okay. Right? Think about the Build Back better. Right? Well, it was passed in one chamber, but not passed in the other chamber. Oh. It was passed in the House, where the Democrats had the majority. Mm -hmm. It was not passed in the Senate because two senators, remember I told you it's a 50-50 split, mm -hmm. with, the, with the VP being the, um, the, tiebreaker. the tiebreaker. Well, two Democratic senators... A senator out of Arizona and a senator out of West Virginia both wouldn't get behind the bill back better, so it never passed. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so but typically a, a bill would be drafted or sponsored by one, two, or even three Congress people or senators, um, and then from there it gets voted on. Okay, like that's that's kind of the way it works. And then there's you know each Congressperson or each senator they're, they're going to be a part of certain committees, right? So like you wouldn't necessarily ask. Um, Marco Rubio to draft a bill uh, regarding banking if he doesn't sit on the the, the, the banking subcommittee. Okay. Or you would ask someone to write a bill that's on defense spending if they don't sit on, on the on the on the defense. Right. So that's kind of in a nutshell how it all works. Okay. But what was cool is we were there. We were there. Our voices were heard. Right. And and sometimes you got to meet with the congressman. Like, you know, Congressman out of Miami met with a group from Florida. Not my group. Because Florida, we sent so many delegates, they couldn't all fit in, right? right? Like Marco Rubio's office, like, look, we can only take 15 of you. Like our conference room table yeah. only holds 15. So 15 of us uh, went in. But what we did is we kind of divided and conquered. And sometimes you got the congressman or congresswoman. Sometimes you may have gotten the senator. Or a lot of times you got the staff. But it's, it's not about, you know, oh, did I get in front of the right person? Some, like what I was taught and I learned don't underestimate the influence and the power of the staff. Right? Think of yourself as one person. You can't vote on hundreds, if not thousands, of, of bills and legislation and do all the research yourself. That's why you have staff. You want your staff to do the research and come and give you the clip notes version of it. Mm -hmm. So Rubio sent in two staff members, and those boys wrote notes. I mean, right. I, I sat right next to them. <laughs> Um, and then hopefully they'll take those notes to some kind of a meeting with the senator and the senator can right, let, okay. can let them know, Hey, I want to know more about that. Or, you know, right. that can, you, can you share some of the things that you went like an actual thing that you said, like while you were there, like, Hey, this is something that's going on. Like me personally yeah, or the, per our entire no, group. Like I can you, do both if you want. Yeah, yeah, just do both. Like something you actually said that you feel some type of way about that you were able to say, like, 
in well, Washington. Yeah, so I tackled affordable housing. Okay. So like we we sat down and we strategized. Like we knew from the NBA, from the NBA's lobbyists, from the NBA's chief economist, from the NBA's CEO, right? That's why you have a trade organization. They already knew what the five main talking points were. And why do they know it? Because the members of the NBA, mortgage companies like Waterstone, like Guild, like Bank of America, like Chase, like Flagstar, mm -hmm. like, and all of the vendors, the mortgage insurance companies and the, the technology companies like um, uh, ICE, or Black Knight, like we all belong to this association. We all pay our dues. Mm -hmm. And when shit's not going right, we go to our trade organization and say, you guys need to fix this. Mm -hmm. You girls need to figure out what's going on here. And what they do is they have a team of lobbyists and those lobbyists go out and they lobby, right? That's If there's one thing I didn't get from the, from the um, conference is I wish I had more time to get to know the NBA's lobbyists. Like I'm really interest in what they do for a living. Like I want to learn more. Mm -hmm. I feel like I want to geek out on that, but I need them to like want to in, mm -hmm. invest in my answering my questions. Right. And I didn't get any really one-on-one -on -one time. In mm -hmm. fact, they kind of, I kind of feel like they're standoffish and maybe they're really busy. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is one of those events that's like, look, Not today. Uh, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I'm like, this is their big event of the year right. and it's high pressure and there's more, more hands to shake and more people to meet and more logistics to have to look after. Mm -hmm. They, they don't, but like, there's this guy, Bill Kilmer. I would love to spend a whole entire day with Bill. And under under Bill, he has like his staff. Like, I, and you and I have met Alden before mm -hmm. because Alden was at. She's a lobbyist. I think she lobbies um, Democrats on in in on in Congress. Okay. And um, she was at the Florida uh, the 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 Florida annual Mortgage Bankers Conference. Okay. But like, I wish I could have spent more time with them. Um, I do want to give a shout out though because yeah. people that are at the NBA who work on the legislative side of things, uh, both Jamie and Rosie. Shout out Jamie Dude, and they're Rosie. awesome. Nice. Absolutely awesome. You've met them when we were out in San Diego. You might oh. not remember because we met a lot of people. <laughs> right. But um, you know, they head up the Mortgage Action Alliance, and they head up MORPAC. MORPAC, Mortgage Political Action Committee. We need y'all's money. We, meaning the industry, need y'all's money because the way this world works, the way the game is played, is we need to donate to those senators and those Congress people who are going to be out voting on bills and legislation that will either benefit or counter mm -hmm. what we're trying to accomplish in the mortgage and real estate world. So MORPAC is your way, $5, $10, $50, a hundred bucks, right? Every drop counts. Contribute, contribute so that we can have the best research. We can have the best lobbyist. We, we, we can, we can do what we need to do to catch the attention of those that set policy. There's a link. If you go to tloponline.com, John, you and I've talked about the loan officer podcast.com. Yeah. It's a fantastic resource on that page under industry insights. Yep. You can see a link. That link will take you to some of the largest and biggest organizations. Um, the NBA is one of them, but underneath the NBA is more pack. And there's also Ma. Mm -hmm. I want you to click on more pack. Every dollar counts. Donate five bucks. Donate ten dollars. Know that that five and ten dollars is actually going towards good causes that right. we are going to talk about. I'm going to get there, John. I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And also join Ma. It's free to join Ma, the Mortgage Action Alliance. So here's how Ma works. When there's something happening, there's legislation that's going through. Like what this guy Bill Kilmer and Bill Staff, and I think he has five or six Alden type people, mm -hmm. and I can't remember their names because unfortunately I didn't get to know them. I would have loved for them to walk up to me and introduce themselves. <laughs> right. And every time I tried to walk up to them, I felt 
I feel like that creepy guy that was like uh, imposing on them. Right. So I didn't get a chance to get to know them, which is why I don't know their names. By the way, if you're listening, how highly doubt you are. But if you are listening, I would like to get to know you. Right. I want to interview Bill or someone from Bill's staff on TLOP. Nice. I would love to learn what our lobbyists really do and what it means to lobby, what, it, what it's like to lobby. Yeah. Right. But it's these people that they are at Capitol Hill. They're meeting with senators and congresspeople so they know what bills are being um, drafted so that if it's bad for us, they're like, stop. That's their job. Their job isn't just to push legislation that we, that that promotes what we're trying to do. It's also to prevent it from going through. Mm. Because, like these senators and congresspeople, they may have been. Some of them were were homemakers. Some of them were great attorneys. Some of them were great uh, dentists. Some of them were were great uh, owners of small business. Mm -hmm. But they weren't great mortgage professionals. They weren't great real estate professionals. Right? They might not really understand economics. Cause that's not their. That's not where they're a subject matter expert. They need us in the field to speak to them, to educate them, to teach them. We are the boots in the ground for them. So when you're out there lobbying, you're doing a favor. And if it's done properly, or when we marched on Capitol Hill like we did yesterday, it was so that our representatives mm -hmm. could hear from their people, their constituents, because we are the Shmees. We know what's going on. We talk to consumers. Um, and they need to hear our stories. They rely on that. Mm -hmm. So nonetheless, well, I was giving a shout out to Jamie and shout out to uh, Rosie because Morpac and Ma, those are their kind of their babies. That's what they oversee on behalf of the Mortgage Bankers Association mm -hmm. and Mortgage Action Alliance. All that is, is when something is going down, it's our opportunity. If you if you're a part of Ma, M-A-A, -A, then you know what's going on and you can then reach out to your senator, to your congressperson and let them know, hey, we support this. You need to you need to vote yes, or we do not support this. You need to vote vote no. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the issues at hand. Okay. All right. So what I tackled was affordable housing, okay. which something I'm passionate about. And when I sat, and I, I was able to do this three times on three different calls at three different meetings, mm -hmm. my group ended up meeting with um, four. One of those, unfortunately, I couldn't be a part of because I had to catch a 6 p.m. flight home. Right. And then the other Florida group was able to meet with five. Um, but... Uh, when, when I had my opportunity to speak, I spoke to them about affordable housing. And I essentially said this, you can come up with every first time home buyer tax credit you want to. You can come up with every type of uh, home loan for the disadvantaged or, or homeowner for underserved, underserved yeah. that you want. And, I, and we support that as an industry, we support that. You know, let's let's create generational wealth through home ownership for people who maybe had been left out previously, right? Let's go into areas and revitalize them. Let's do all of that. Well, the re the revitalization is actually a separate issue, but that does kind of coincide with affordable housing. But my pitch was this: doesn't matter what great programs you support and you roll out and how many federal funds you put towards it. If we can't get out there and build homes quickly and um, efficiently and economically, those programs do us no good, right? We don't, we don't have an issue in this country of, of demand. We have plenty of demand. Plenty of people want to buy homes. Plenty of people want to rent a place to live on their own. The problem is there's not enough places to rent, not enough places to own. Mm -hmm. So the statement made to all three, and again, it was two senators and, and, and one congressman, it was like, we need legislation we need the federal government to incentivize the local municipalities, 
the counties and the states. Because by the way, a lot of times we're talking about creation of, of new units. The federal government's not involved in that, right? That's the city of Leesburg. Mm. That's Orange County. That's the state of Florida. Hmm. But the federal government can incentivize those states by pushing down federal funds to the state, let the state disperse it to the local community, let the local community then use those funds for X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. So we said to them, like, first and foremost, we need help developing land. We need to be able to, to develop land quicker and more efficiently. That's zoning issues. That's environmental issues. And we need the federal government to somehow work with the states to give incentives, whether they're tax breaks, whether they're grants, uh, whether it's a streamlined process. We need that. We also have a labor shortage, right? If we can find land and get it developed quickly, mm. do we have enough people who are willing to do the work? Well, if we don't, how do we fix that? What programs do we have to invite younger people into the trades? Or is it an immigration thing? Do we actually have to finally figure out how to effectively allow smooth, efficient, legal immigration? Because if we're not creating enough people, we are going to have a, a population issue in the United States where if you're not growing, you're dying. So as a, as a society, we have to add more people than we lose. And right now we're close to a flat line, which is a little bit scary. Right. And you know, you never want negative population growth. So if you can't go out and make enough babies, mm -hmm. they need to actually invite people to come into your country. Um, somehow we have, to, we have to figure out the labor shortage. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not on me. That's not my, I'm not Shmi there. But the federal government can work with the state who can work with local municipalities to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And yes, we have supply chain issues. Yes, lumber is way too expensive. Yes, it's taking forever to get windows. Right. Some of that is temporary. Right. It's COVID induced. Some of that's not some of that's, you know, based on whatever our trade regulation is. Right. The tariffs that we put on lumber coming out of Canada. Right. That's something they can potentially work on. When I sit down and talk to a home builder, home builder would tell me, hey, Dustin, I would love to build more homes. Love it. Love to. But man, these impact fees that the counties or the cities impose, that eats all of my profit margin away. An impact fee could be an amount of money somewhere between 20 and 50 thousand dollars for every one home you build Damn. the county or the city is saying look john we appreciate you're building 300 homes in our little city mm -hmm. but those 300 homes are going to bring 1200 new residents those 1200 new residents are going to need wider roads more stoplights more police officers more cops mm -hmm. more teachers more schools we don't have the funds for that so every unit that you build we are going to impose an impact hmm. fee. But what if the federal government could work with the state, who could work with the, municipality, the municipalities to where impact fees were null and void? Ah, well, now all of a sudden that builder can actually go build that product. Because look, if, if the builder is going to be imposed a $30,000 impact fee, who do you think pays it? The consumer. The consumer. Yes, <laughs> the consumer. So... You know, when, when I was actually in, in Rubio's office and I said to, to his um, his staff member, I said, look, there's only two ways that we're going to stop this crazy house appreciation, which is obviously making affordability that much more out of reach. The first, we don't want to go there. Right. World War Three. Mm. No, we don't want to go there. The second is we have to build more homes. Once we build more homes at that point, then we can start talking about 
the programs, the subsidized down payment assistance, the subsidized mortgage insurance, the subsidized interest rates, all for that. Now, there's other things that we can do inside of, um, uh, you know, in, inside of legislation. Like, you know, we, we there are things called, um, oh God, really, ABUs, um, accessory, ADUs, accessory dwelling units. Yeah. Well, how do we promote cities in neighborhoods and counties to allow a accessible dwelling unit. How do I build a one bedroom, one bath, hmm. 600 square foot apartment in my backyard? And instead of that address being 100 Main Street, it's 100 and a half Main Street. And I can rent that out to someone for 12 months out of the year and provide them with affordable housing themselves, but also subsidize what my house cost. So that's, that is something that we need the federal government to put pressure on the local cities and counties and municipalities that are against it, right? And there's good reasons to be against it. Like you may be against a, um, ADU, ADU, was it ex accessory, access dwelling accessory dwelling unit. unit. Thank you. Uh, because you're like, look, I don't want a bunch of Airbnb short-term right. rentals. Cool. Yeah. Then put in, in, into your, into your bylaws that. If you have an ADU, it's 12 month right. lease or greater. Mm. Okay, perfect. You know, that's that's a start. Not not every neighborhood, like if you're a gated community, you might not allow it. Right. So it may have to be in unincorporated areas, but that's a quick, easy fix. That's something that we could, within 90 days, someone could have their two car garage converted into an ADU. Hmm. Right. Right. And now, now someone has a place to live mm. and a place to live that's affordable. Right. And now a person who's buying that home, they too have a place to live. But then we need, this, here's where the federal government comes into play. We need Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and FHA and VA to get behind it too, right? 95% of every loan, and I stated this when I was in um, uh, Congressman Lawson's office. I said 95% of every loan that's being originated has some kind of a government backing, right? If it's a conventional conforming loan, we're delivering it to Fannie and Freddie. That is a quasi-government, and you might as well say a full government agency because it's been in conservatorship for the past decade. Or it's being delivered to the Department of Veteran Affairs, or it's being delivered to um hud or the usda mm -hmm. we need to have loan products and programs that support adus whether it's hey i want to go get a refinance where i can pull the money out mm -hmm. to convert my garage into this and i want to be able to use the proposed rent that i'm going to receive off of this adu to offset my mortgage payment to help me qualify maybe now i can qualify for more home mm -hmm. right and my payment is going to be lower assuming i have that thing rented out nine to 12 months out of the year Right. So like those are things that we sat and talked to them about. Um, and they, there's actually a bill. It's called Yes in My Backyard. Uh, in the Senate, it's uh, 1614. In the House, it's H.R. 3198. This was supposed to be included in um, the Build Back Better, which got squashed. It's mm -hmm. basically dead. Okay. Like here's what we learned, by the way, at the conference through the speakers, Build Back Better for the most part is dead but we as an industry could possibly resurrect parts of it that, that we loved okay. and get that to pass in a separate bill uh, and be written into law. We also learned that, hey, guys and girls, economically, nothing's really going to change. Like, yes, we have recession. Yes, rates are, are high. But for the most part, things are pretty solid. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't anticipate any major swings one direction or the other, You know, aside from World War III or another pandemic type thing mm -hmm. that could be, be un unpredictable. Right. And also it's an election year. When you're in an election year, for the most part, shit don't get done. Yeah. 
No, nobody's out there trying to rock the boat. Yeah. No one's out there trying to make big waves. All they're trying to do is circle the wagons, campaign, and get reelected. So because of that, nobody's going to want to stick their neck out to, to, to sign a bill into law. And that's just kind of the unfortunate that we're in. So what we were doing today or yesterday um, in April of 2020, we're hoping is for what starts being being uh, drafted and, and approved and written into law first quarter of next year. Mm. Um, so like on the affordable housing standpoint, there's that that was one of the things. Now there's more things like how do we go into areas that are economically impoverished, that the buildings are run down mm-hmm. and how do we give tax incentives to larger corporations to come in and revitalize those areas? And then if we gave a tax incentive or a grant to revitalize the area, then how do we then hold that person accountable to only rent it to yeah. you know, underserved communities yeah. or to have some kind of a rent control, mm-hmm. right? That's, a, that's how the private can work with the, 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 the government, mm-hmm. right? We don't want too much government intervention, but we may need a little bit to get things started. Mm-hmm. And then in return, the private will have to agree to a, a set standards. Mm-hmm. So there's things like um, land leases that we can do a lot more of. Like if you owned a home on a land lease, what it allows you to do is you as the home buyer can have that that house more affordable because maybe you don't own the land, you lease the land, but you own the house that sits on it. Mm-hmm. And in return though, when you go to sell it, the person who owns the land you actually have to split some of your gains on sale. Okay, well, yeah. look, you're, we're not saying that you're not building generational wealth and you're not building wealth, while we're in, but we're saying you can get into this home for cheaper, lower monthly payment, lower out-of-pocket out of, out of cost. But the trade-off is that when you go to sell the home, maybe instead of you having $100,000 of equity that you earned, hmm. it's $25,000 is, is going to be retained by, by the other. So like um, th- that's one. You also have what's called a... Um, or community land trust. So we need to be doing more community land trust. We need the federal government to to encourage the state who encourages the local municipalities. Right, like, start at the top. Yeah, like you kind of yeah, see where I'm I going see, with yeah. this. Like there's there's way more behind it than, than Just, yeah, yeah. yeah, there was five different bills, whether they were in the Senate or they were in the House, mm-hmm. that, that were being drafted, that were going to be included in the Build Back Better, that basically when Build Back Better got yeah. kiboshed, they, they got kiboshed. So I know we're running long on time and I'm getting long in the tooth here. Um, it's interesting though. I find it like really interesting because a lot of people just like they complain about rates. Why are rates so up? I can't find a home. But then you were there kind of behind the scenes and you got like the real information as to why not just some people sitting out a tweet or posting something on social media. It's not, it's much deeper than that. Here's what's cool about going to conferences. Here's what's cool about going to conferences. You're around like one, you're away from your home office. You're away from your house. You're out of your home city for the most part, unless you're like in the DC metro area. And you get real talk. Yeah. You get real talk. Like I'm talking about, I'm hanging out with a guy who is the, the uh, head of secondary for a mortgage lender that does $2 billion a year. So a decent sized mortgage mm-hmm. lender. I'm hanging out with a guy that, that works in the secondary market for a large bank who also has a very large mortgage presence. And we're just talking shop. And it's the same regardless of what company and regardless of what state. Rates suck everywhere. They don't just suck at your company. So no, John, it's not about rates sucking mm-hmm. because that's just the world we live in. Right. Like that's like getting mad that, oh, it's stormy outside. It was not just stormy for you. Right. Everyone that lives in your geographic area 
they are, oh my God, my power's out. Well, your whole neighborhood's power's out. You know, it's like, right, yeah. yeah. So no, those conversations don't come up and, and you find out that it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a non-issue. It's a, it is what it is issue. Um, it's a factor you can't control. So you don't talk about that, but we do talk about things that you can control. Right. Hey, how are you pivoting with rate sucking? What are you doing to cut costs? What are you doing to, to circumvent the issue of, of um, home buyers not getting their offers accepted, hmm. right? So, and, and those are things that we were talking about. So things that we also tackled in a very high level, I'm just gonna write down it. Right. I want everyone who's made it this far to know we hammered, I mean, hammered home, the fact that the appraisal world is broken. It is, it is splintered, it, is, it needs to be fixed. Everything from the fact that appraisers must have a two two year apprenticeship and they must have a four year degree, mm -hmm. that needs to change. Like we have a massive supply and demand issue with appraisers. We've witnessed all of us. I'm not. I'm you know right now. I'm like, uh, I'm preaching to the choir, <laughs> but we all understand that we've watched our appraisal turn times go from five days to twenty days, and the costs go from four hundred dollars to twelve hundred dollars. That's bullshit. Why? There's not enough appraisers. Why? Because it's too damn hard to become an appraiser. Right? That's a, it's a trade, right? It's not like necessarily someone becoming a doctor or an attorney or a environmental engineer. It's a trade, but you require a four-year degree and a two-year apprenticeship. Well, because of that, we have not had anyone wanting to become an appraiser. Technology, are we really utilizing technology at the fullest? Like some properties get a PIW, most require this full appraisal. And I know Fannie Mae rolled out their desktop appraisal, but when you talk to an appraiser, like it'll take me just as much time and I'm gonna <laughs> charge you just as much money. Right. So what does that really do? We have the information. Fannie and Freddie and the GSEs have the information. They know what these properties are worth. We, can, we have to figure out how to do valuations of properties quicker, cheaper, more efficient. They heard that loud and clear. We as an industry took it to all 50 states. We hammered every congressperson and every senator that we met with or their staff. And the thought is, it's every drop fills the bucket, right? I don't know if um, Congressman Lawson's staff is really going to care about appraisals because he really cares about the revitalization of impoverished areas. He may have only heard those, those <laughs> notes, but if we set it to hundreds of representatives, right? And, and if, if we covered all 40, 50, 60, 80, 80 of the 100 senators. Creates a groundswell. Yes, yes. It's every drop fills the bucket. So we hammered that, absolutely hammered it. We also talked about RON, remote online notarization. Why do we live in 2022 and I still have to physically go in to. front of another human to get them to tell me I am who I am and I actually signed that document. Yeah, I get the stamp. Yes. So we, we need it. Like in Florida, we dominate, Ron. But the problem is not every municipality hmm. has the ability to e-record. Well, we've got to change that. Well, how do we change that? Maybe there needs to be federal funds to promote or maybe we withhold federal funds mm -hmm. until they implement. Right. You don't have to necessarily give. Sometimes you can take away. Um, and then you get states like California who are still not on board. They're still not on board with Ron. California is our state. largest yeah, state. Yes. State. Come on, California. Get your shit together. 
figure this out because there's many lenders out there or title companies that until you move, they won't move. So we need to get the federal, the federal government to come out and support Ron. And then from there, push it down to the states and force the states to push it down to their cities and their counties. Mm-hmm. So Ron was one of it. The other, the other issues were um, creating legislation. Right now, if you were to sell your house uh, that you owned and, and you owned it for um, over two years, but you made over $250,000 of profit, you had to pay capital gains tax, even if it was your, if it was your primary home. Well, we've seen what has happened to home prices in many areas and how they've skyrocketed. And, and people who bought houses three years ago have benefited. Mm-hmm. But we wonder, are there people who aren't selling because they're worried about tax implications? So what if we could just increase mm. that? Because it's a there's a, um, what do you call that? It's a, um, a carve out that if it was your primary home and, and it was 250 grand or less that you made, like profited. Mm-hmm then you don't have to pay taxes on that. But if you made more than 250, mm. you do. Let's bump that to 500. Like, come on. That 250 number worked maybe in 2000, maybe in 2010. That, that number doesn't work in 2022 and going forward. When we, we've witnessed over the past 10 years, our median house price go from $135,000 to $300,000, mm. yeah. right? So that's some legislation. And then for the real geeky geek, and I, I left this for last for, for a reason, the... Um, Legislatures, as it comes to, to taxes and corporate taxes, the way that they are asking for uh, mortgage companies that have a lot of um, uh, MSRs or mortgage servicing rights, that's an asset, by the way, like the right to service loan is an asset. It's traded uh, the way you would trade any other asset, a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, etc. The taxation of MSRs there's legislation out there that would be prohibitive to mortgage companies making money based on the accounting practices that they would force them to do. And at the end of the day, if you're a part of the mortgage banking community, you're advocating not because it's going to impact your profits, which by the way, it will, Mm -hmm. it will, but that's not the message they take to to Congress. That's not the the message they they Mm -hmm. take to, to, to the Senate. They're taking this will impact consumers because at the end of the day, shit flows downhill. So if you're going to create legislation that makes it more expensive and less profitable for me to do something, I'm not going to change my metrics. I still need to make that money mm. to feed the the, the stakeholders mm. and the associates that are part of my firm or my, my organization. So I'll just pass that yeah. on to the consumers. Right. Well, it's bad for consumers. If it's bad for consumers, does a senator or a congressperson really want to pass that legislation? Mm. So that was probably the fifth major talking point. And we tackled it from the residential side. Believe it or not, the Mortgage Bankers Association, they also advocate on behalf of commercial lenders. So the commercial guys and girls were doing their own thing. Hmm. And then I learned this. I didn't get to go to it, but the NBA actually has a townhouse on Capitol Hill. Really? Like right across the street. Like, did you know, I might have told you this off, off camera. By the way, you don't actually meet these people in the Capitol. Like, I took a really cool picture of myself mm-hmm. outside of the Capitol, mm-hmm. posted up on LinkedIn. So if we, we're not, we're not. You're not following me yet on LinkedIn to connect with me. Yeah. You'll see that picture. I um, also took some very awesome pictures from all the runs I did in the morning. But no, you meet, there's actually three buildings that they house hmm. the the Congress people and they house the senators. So they're actually next door or across the street yeah. from the Capitol building. And really cool, they are connected 
but not for lay people like you and I, John. Underground. Underground tunnels like yeah. Disney World has. Yeah. Yeah, they have underground tunnels that'll take the senators and the Congress yeah. people from their offices. Yeah. But it was really cool, like walking the halls, and I'm like, oh, damn, that's so-and-so's office. That's so-and-so's office. Yeah. I see them on TV. That's cool. Yeah, it was a very cool experience. So I would recommend anybody who is serious about their profession. And, I, and I'd maybe recommend it for somebody who has a little bit of clout within their profession. They have some experience. Um, they're no, no longer wet behind the ears. Mm -hmm. um, start getting involved, whether it's joining Ma, whether it's donating to Morpac, whether it's registering to get the weekly uh, the daily MBA news link email sent to you. Start attending a local Mortgage Bankers Association event, then go to a state Mortgage Bankers event. Um, as you climb the ranks in your career, at that point, you might want to look at the national MBA event. But I'll be honest, that's a fairly a high, upper management is what, who tends to um, go to that. It's not that someone newer in the industry shouldn't, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you that it's if you want to get an upper management, maybe you should go because right. you know if you want to surround yourself with people you want to be like. That's <laughs> yeah. the place to do it. Yeah. And we'll be in my favorite city, Nashville, this year. So yeah, I can't sure. I can't wait. But no, it was an awesome event. Uh, highly recommend uh, everyone at some point in their career. I think you should look into the Future Leaders Program. I think at some point in your career, you should attend NAC, National Adv Advocacy Conference. Yeah. Um, and um, you, know, you, you should get involved. You should care. You should care. This passion that you heard come from me today, yeah. I hope some of that resonates with you and you two are like, hey, look, I want to one day be that passionate. I want to one day like be that in the know. It's not a snap your fingers and it happens, but it happens by first starting small and then working your way up. Well said, Dio. Any other further questions? No, that was it, man. You crushed it. Cool. Well, I appreciate this. And uh, Jamie and Rosie, if you're still tuning in or if you did tune in, I am going to ask you to help us get one of our lobbyists on TLOP. There you go, Dio. I, I, I want that to happen. It might not happen until October, John, and we'll have to go up to Nashville That's and fine. create our equipment up there. That's fine. We've done it before. We'll, we'll do, do it again. again. Yep, yep. yep. Um, but um, – I, I think it'd be awesome. I think it'd be, cool, yeah. it'd be great for the audience to get to hear from one of them. Because yeah. if you think I just geeked out, oh lord, There's levels to this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just wait. Yeah, I'm. I, I am. I'm. I am basically that toy you get inside of a Happy Meal. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're the actual toy that your mom would never buy you at Toys R Us because it was too expensive. Right. I want to have that toy on this show. Nice. All right. He's John Coleman. I'm Dustin Owen. That's all the time we have for you today. But we will catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.